This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, January the 24th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, researchers at the University of Waterloo have developed an authentication method called One Button In. Nelson Rego of Cool Blind Tech will tell you all about it. And it's another edition of the weekly news quiz with the continuing musical chairs of contestants. We keep scaring people away. This week, you'll hear from Bruce McLaren, Jim Crisco, and Alex Smythe. Before you get any of that, here is the regional news update. Beginning in British Columbia, a Kamloops plan to get land trusts more involved in solving the housing crunch has reached a milestone. A petition to the federal government spearheaded by a member of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce has surpassed the 500 signatures needed to have it certified and presented to the House of Commons. And when you are certified, it demands a response from the federal government. The petition calls for tax code changes that would eliminate capital gains taxes on land that people or corporations donate to a community land trust. The proposal somewhat mirrors an existing program that provides a tax credit to those who donate land to an ecological reserve. Over to the prairies, Alberta Health Services says a technical outage which delayed some surgeries and forced hospitals across the province back to paper charts has been resolved. It also said last night services were being restored. The province is contacting patients to rebook surgeries that were postponed, although it did note that urgent and emergency surgeries did continue throughout the day. It's promising a third-party review will begin shortly to determine the root cause. Over to Ontario, the mayors of three communities in northwestern Ontario are calling on the province for help dealing with rising policing costs. The mayors of Sioux Lookout, Kenora and Pickle Lake say calls for service in their communities has grown due to worsening homelessness and drug addiction issues in northern Ontario. Members of the group met yesterday with Solicitor General Michael Kersner. And finally, in Atlantic Canada, an update on a story we shared with you yesterday. Newfoundland and Labrador's government has passed emergency legislation late last night that makes private ambulance services essential. The bill mandated an end to the four-day strike by 120 ambulance workers who walked out on Friday to push for better wages and pensions. The legislation also instructs the private paramedics company and its staff representatives to figure out how many workers are needed to carry out essential paramedic services. Services. Newfoundland and Labrador's Federation of Labor says the strike signals a need for labor reform. The group says it has called for years for a modernized Labrador Relations Act that would make it easier for workers to join a union and have binding arbitration to resolve disputes. That's your look at the regional news. Brock Richardson is here for a sports chat. So, Brock, you all weekend long we're posting on social media results from the Paranordic World Championships going on but as you were doing so it put a bit of a bee in your bonnet about Parasport coverage what's on your mind 
So what's on my mind is uh, first to tell you about this event and that we have a total of four uh, medals at this event um, highlighted uh, by Brittany Haddock, who has uh, two medals, um, a silver medal and a bronze medal, which is really, really good uh, for that. Um, but what's bothered me is this whole thought of um, sports that have the marquee in, para, in the para sports world. So the sports I'm talking about are para ice hockey, wheelchair basketball, and sitting volleyball are the ones that I can think of. Every time there's an international event, we invariably see whether on their own Facebook page or the Canadian Paralympic Committee, we see coverage of uh, these events most um, coming up tomorrow, actually, which I'll highlight more in detail tomorrow, but is a wheelchair basketball event that is a um, practice squad between uh, Japan and Canada as they're playing about a five-game series with each other that's in Toronto, and that's being uh, highlighted, and that's just a you know scrimmage, basically. And so it bothers me in that I wish I could tell you more details about these runs that I'm highlighting. However, I can't because I can't find coverage of it. Why do you think that is, Brock? I, I would I would put forward to you that it's a lot easier to create a live stream for an event that happens in Toronto rather than flying over to Italy or France to do the coverage. But I wonder if there should be some kind of international pool or feed that people can pull from. It, it is to some degree, and you're right. However, I would say, too, I've seen events covered in para-ice hockey, in sitting volleyball, which are in Europe. And so... I would see that argument if I haven't seen it before where it's like, well, this one you cover, so why didn't you do this one? And the problem is, this is, I think people gravitate to certain sports more than others. And I'm surprised skiing isn't one of them that, you know, people gravitate to because there is an able-bodied equivalent to the para sports world. I just, I, I, I question, you know, we want... We sit here and we bang the drum of inclusion, inclusion, inclusion with all sports. But then you you even separate the marquee sports and you say, well, we'll cover this and we'll cover that. And maybe it's a matter of two manpower and that, you know, you have to get someone to uh, commentate these events. Sure, that can also be true because one of the other bonnets that I have, Dave, is sometimes they will set up a um, a feed with no uh, commentary, which mm-hmm. makes it really mm-hmm. hard for people. So, so I, I at times I also ask myself, okay, do you want your cake and eat it too, or what do you want? And the truth is, if we're gonna do it, let's do it properly so that it includes everybody in the blind, partially sighted, all that. Because for us to turn on an event with no commentary, it, it means nothing to those of us that rely on the on the commentary. So. But first and foremost, I do want to highlight that that we do have uh, quite a few medals uh, coming out of this world championship, and this is a good thing. I just wish we could be highlighting it, and I could be telling you, oh, you know, Brittany had a wonderful run. It was this fast that, you know, I, I don't have that information because it's not presented to me. 
So, uh, yeah. So, so Brock, I'm, I'm going to keep pushing back on you because what you're saying is extremely relevant, but we can't just say we want this without putting forward a solution. You know what I mean? So I would ask you who's responsible for this? Because in some of these events that you're discussing, like wheelchair basketball, sitting volleyball, uh, para hockey, in a lot of cases, those sports are a lot easier to film than say a Nordic downhill track. A Nordic downhill right. skiing event takes like hundreds of cameras to shoot properly, whereas you can shoot hockey with two iPhones, right? This could actually be situations where organizers or like executives with those parasport organizations are standing with an iPhone above the rink shooting this stuff. You can't do that with a skier. So who is responsible for this in your mind? Who would be the people who have to pick up the mantle? There are, there is, um, and I don't have the name of it off the top of my head, but and I and I'll uh, look it up uh, for tomorrow for when we talk about wheelchair basketball. But CBC has a partnership uh, with the Canadian Paralympic Committee where they don't necessarily uh, stream it on their networks, but they do have a platform to which that they can use. Now, having said that, to your point, it is more of these one camera, two camera situations i mean you see guys like nico cardarelli who is a one-man band maybe sometimes he might have two when he covers parasports so i do get it in the sense of that but it, it i i do wish that we saw more of a broader output of these events and maybe skiing is a is a more difficult one to cover because as you point out you're, you're talking you know double the amount of cameras if not triple uh, in this case. So yeah, it is tough, but I just noticed this as a yeah. overall uh, thing. And I, and I really think it's highlighted in the marquee sports versus the not marquee sports necessarily. I, I would also suggest to you, it's, it's um, the importance and reminder of journalism that like, maybe we don't need the video or the audio of these events, but we certainly need reporters on the ground who are doing full throated, thoughtful, thoughtful uh, coverage of these events where you're actually giving the details and sharing the copy beyond just sort of who won, who lost. Like, give us a little bit more. Give, give us the artistry that was sports writing that we relied upon for like hundreds of years. Well, hundreds of years is, is an exaggeration, but for, <laughs> let's call it let's call it 100 years. And, and you know what? Total, total respect here to the uh, Canadian Paralympic Committee for what they are doing. We at the Neutral Zone have a, have a wonderful relationship with their... Uh, uh, PR individual, she's great, but you're right. The time in which I, I, you know, the time of the run would be helpful so that I could come on here and say, you know, Brittany Haddock won her second medal and her run was X time. I think that would help give a little bit more context versus like you said, the end result of, Oh, she, she won a silver and a bronze medal. Look at this fancy picture. And with the bronze medal coded in the background, that that's fine. And I'm glad that we have some level of result but full context would be helpful yeah brock you mentioned that you're a host of the neutral zone and you guys are entering some territory today at 11 a.m eastern time on ami audio in regards to athlete protests of course uh catalyzed by the conversation on philadelphia flyers defenseman ivan Provorov, who decided not to take part in team warm-ups last week on pride night because he did not want to wear a pride themed jersey but Brock, it uh, leads to a lot of questions about athlete protest because this is not a new conversation. Yeah, and so we started the conversation on uh, this week's episode with the headline of uh, the Philadelphia Flyer defenseman, Ivan, and we're going to continue it next week in a more in-depth uh, circumstance. But I wanted to start the conversation here to get people kind of 
teed up in this. And, and I think for me, Dave, the, the question becomes, where do we draw the line as for what you do as a, as a person and what you do as an athlete and what you do as an organization point of view in respecting all of your athletes' beliefs and all this sort of stuff. And so that that's where I kind of want to start this conversation is at what point do you say the the athletes' beliefs are what we stand for, the team's beliefs, or a combination of both? And so that's kind of where the conversation for me kind of jumps off yeah it, it's it's dangerous waters brock because uh for people looking to be morally consistent you have to support most forms of athlete protest providing it's not um wrapped in some kind of hate crime um this all started really in earnest in the last couple of years with colin kaepernick taking a knee during the american national anthem before football games to protest uh, racial injustice and particularly violence by police uh, against black people but we also saw this come to a head during the Black Lives Matter movement when the NBA was in the bubble with players saying, I believe it was a Wednesday or Thursday night, we're not playing games today uh, in the fallout of a shooting outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And even if you disagree with the bigoted point of view that Ivan Provorov shared in regards to not being part of Pride Night, his protest was indeed nonviolent. So if I'm going to stand here and shout full-throatedly, in support of Colin Kaepernick taking a knee or those players uh, deciding not to participate in NBA playoff games in the bubble in support of Black Lives Matter, then I suppose I need to uh, allow Ivan Provorov his bigoted action and bigoted point of view that's extremely close-minded, but in the sake of peaceful protest, his protest was indeed peaceful. Yeah, and the problem is, and and... You know, we we've us at the neutral zone. We we discussed this. You know, in our in our post show meeting, the 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 problem is is that the the you knew exactly what was going to happen with Ivan Provorov as far as the media was concerned. He would have just been happy, just you know, protesting in his own way, in his quiet ways, and that was that. But the media, of course, needs to ask those questions, and he and he cited his reasons for religion and that's fine i just i think we 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 want to sort of pick and choose at times what we're going to get bent out of shape over and you're right if we're going to support you know the black lives matter movements and taking the knee and protesting games because of shootings and all that then we have to allow for the 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 right of someone else to protest on something that's a little bit more controversial and as you point out a little bit closed-minded in today's society um but it's also their beliefs and and people are entitled to to have their beliefs in today's also free speech uh you know free speech world people are entitled to have their beliefs but then i'm entitled to criticize their beliefs that i believe are wrong right what happened with the colin kaepernick situation is that people started talking about the action rather than what he was protesting and the same thing is happening here with ivan provorov that people are talking about whether people have the right to protest rather than what they are protesting and that's where this issue falls into a trap of rhetoric rather than grappling with larger societal issues because it's easy to ask the question what is the right of protest rather than what is the merit of what somebody is saying and I will once again stand here loudly screaming on a show that believes in inclusion what Ivan Provorov did last week and the and the rationale that he offered beyond simply saying religion words like clown show were used 
uh, it's bigoted and it's not appropriate. But if he wants to sit out Pride Night, he's happy to like. I'm I'm happy to have him sit out Pride Night because the fact is, if we're really talking about the merits of belief and inclusion. We want people who are true allies to be expressing that belief, not people gritting their teeth and lying, because we also believe in authenticity. Brock, and the, go the, ahead. The, the, the challenge, too, is that, you know, um, when we look at the Colin Kaepernick situation, people thought that he was protesting the anthem. Like, people aren't even getting the facts correct as you point of the reason people are just speaking for the sake of of speaking and the public's getting angry for the wrong reasons you're entitled to get angry but understand why someone is protesting whether good bad or indifferent and i think this is where we kind of got messed up with the colin kaepernick situation because everyone thought oh he's protesting the anthem no that's not what he was protesting at all and it just got twisted and this is what's happened with protesting people take what they want to take out of something and spin it and this is where we can get into, as you pointed out early on, dangerous waters. Yeah, into the into the game of rhetoric rather than the game of conversation. Hey, Brock, you guys have a very interesting episode lined up today at 11 a.m. Eastern time. You enjoy it, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Yes, we will indeed. That is Brock Richardson, the host of The Neutral Zone, which you can find Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Then you can find it on your favorite podcast and platform, including YouTube. You can find Alex Smythe at the AMI Weather Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's rain turning to snow this afternoon. There's also wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour and a high of 5 degrees. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's a mix of sun and clouds with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high is minus 2, feeling like minus 11. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds this, this morning with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. And the high is minus one with a wind chill that makes it feel like minus 13. In Quebec City, Quebec, there's scattered snow flurries today. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. A high of zero, feeling more like minus 10. In Toronto, Ontario, it's snow this morning, then cloudy with a chance of snow in the afternoon. Expected to have up to two centimeters falling today. And the high is three degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, there's snow this morning, then cloudy in the afternoon. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is minus three, with a wind chill of minus nine. In Brandon, Manitoba, there's snow this morning and into the afternoon with up to four centimeters falling. The high is minus nine, with a wind chill that's minus 19. In Regina, Saskatchewan, there's light snow this morning, then cloudy in the afternoon. The high is minus nine, and it's feeling like minus 17. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow throughout the day. There's also wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour with a high of two degrees. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow or rain this morning, but then it's gonna be clearing up in the afternoon. There's also wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high is also two degrees, but there is a wind chill that makes it feel like minus seven. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow or rain this afternoon. Wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, a high of three degrees, feeling like minus eight. Over to Kelowna, BC, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow or rain this afternoon. The high is two degrees, and that wind chill, it dips it below zero at minus six. 
And finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain and a high of five degrees. And that's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, researchers at the University of Waterloo have developed an authentication method called One Button Pin. Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech will tell you all about it. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Researchers at the University of Waterloo have developed a secure authentication method that could help blind and low vision users better access their devices. Nelson Rago from Cool Blind Tech is here from Edmonton with some more details. Hey, good morning, Nelson. How are you, sir? Doing great. How are you? I'm well. So, Nelson, this new method is called One Button Pin, and I'm sure people are pretty familiar with how they're getting into their cell phones or their computers, and sometimes it can be a little bit annoying. So, how does this One Button Pin work? Uh, well, they, they they make it pretty straightforward. So, uh, just imagine you're you're putting in your PIN number. Um, in this case, it seems to be for Android, uh, although they didn't specify it in the article. Um, I can imagine they could use it for iPhone as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, mm -hmm. essentially, uh, instead of just uh, uh, tapping your thumbs away at the PIN number, uh, you basically hold your, your finger, you'd launch the, the app, uh, and like it said, it's it's one big button, so you just uh, put your thumb on there. And uh, when it's asking for the, the PIN number, it'll actually give you uh, vibrations on your thumb. Uh, so basically, your, your, your phone will, will vibrate with haptic feedback. And uh, let's say, for example, uh, the, the first number is five. Uh, so you'll vibrate uh, five times with uh, pauses. And then uh, when you hear the, the fifth uh, vibration, you would basically just lift up your thumb and then wait for the uh, the, the next uh, number. Uh, so it's pretty straightforward and, and uh, supposedly uh, pretty secure. Okay, so Nelson, let, let's get a bit more into the process here because I'm envisioning this as being something that would be used to unlock the phone. But if I have to log into the app to use it, I feel like I'm. I, it's it's not going to get to me. Like I'm not going to get yeah. to that point. Uh, yeah, they they didn't specify exactly how it uh, it, it pops up. Um, uh, but I imagine they, they would have to make it pretty user friendly. Yeah, there's there's like there's got to be an override here, right? That once I've logged in and installed this app, that it overrides yeah. my lock screen. Yeah, because I mean, you could do that with Android. Uh, that's why I was like wondering if you could do with. Uh, I'm not sure if they could do with iPhone, but Android, you could you can get away with that. Uh, where it would override like a, your normal traditional of uh, inputting the, the pin. So uh, I, I imagine it just auto pops up uh, instead of like your standard screen, th this screen would pop up instead. Uh, so I, I imagine that's how they would do it because that, yeah. that's the only way that they should do it. Yeah, but, seriously. Uh, <laughs> unlock unlock your app. phone so we can help you unlock your phone. Don't worry. <laughs> we got you all figured out. Uh, Nelson, yeah. th there was some research on the front end of this. What was revealed in the study? Uh, so so uh, when they determined the traditional way of doing it and uh, this way of doing it, uh, uh, they realized that uh, there was an accuracy of 83 per, uh, 83% uh, with the people using the, um, the, the one button pin. And then for those using the traditional method, uh, they had an accuracy of 78%. So uh, not a huge difference um, between the two for accuracy wise. 
Um, and Nelson, here's a question for you right now. When you're picking up the old Rego phone, what are you a user of? Do you like the thumbprint? Do you have a pin? Do you use a little squiggle design on, on your on your dealy? What do you use? Uh, well, for someone that has uh, multiple phones, <laughs> I use <laughs> it all. Uh, I, I use the 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 Face ID. I use the the, the fingerprint uh, for the older phones because uh, I, I don't I don't sell any of my phones. I I got a huge inventory of phones uh, sitting in drawers uh, throughout my house. Oh, uh, uh, look at Nelson! Uh, but one thing that they found out with um, that was actually pretty cool is uh, uh, in the second stage of the study, uh, they actually had uh, cited uh, participants uh, watch uh, videos of people actually inputting uh, the traditional method and the uh, this uh, this particular method. And in the traditional method, uh, in in all times, they were able to guess the the, the passwords as they're watching the video. Uh, and this particular method, uh, not a single participant was able to actually identify uh, what the pin number was uh, in the video. So that that's one huge uh, okay. difference. Uh, so there, so there's the an ele there's an element here where it is indeed offering more security. I, I know when I uh, got my new phone a couple of years ago, uh, it forced me to put my thumbprint as my uh, as as my authentication code as well as an actual code. Nelson, yeah. I got to tell you, I did not like the thumbprint at first, but I've gotten very, very used to it, and I like it now a lot. Yeah, I, I like doing the thumbprint my, myself. Um, I, I kind of stay away from the, uh, the the face ID stuff, um, uh, but it, it keeps bugging you. Uh, so if, if you have an <laughs> iPhone, for example, uh, if you don't have it set up, it'll keep telling you, like, your phone isn't completely set up, <laughs> even though I, I'll have, like, the like a long uh, password. Uh, it still wants that face ID. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, eventually, they want you to give in and and get your uh, get your face in there. I'm too squinty, and I'm perpetually getting fatter and skinnier, so my face is uh, unrecognizable. <laughs> That's how I hack the system. Uh, Nelson, let's move on to your tech tip. For your tech tip of the day, you want to explain how to improve sound during iPhone calls using the mic mode. Yeah, so uh, I'm starting to use Zoom more often. Um, and this uh, would apply to uh, Zoom users um, on the Mac, iPad, or iPhone. I'm trying to figure out a way to uh, improve the audio quality. Uh, so in my case, it didn't quite work out because uh, my Mac is is pre-2018. Uh, so there are compatibility issues. Uh, so you need certain hardware. Uh, for example, you need uh, SE second gen or newer, uh, a 10, 10R newer, and then so on. Uh, so if your devices are within the last couple of years, uh, this mic mode should work for you. Um, but they make it kind of tricky to actually use it. So uh, if you're using like Zoom or, or FaceTime or even Facebook Messenger, uh, those type of apps, as long as you're in the app and you're in a call, like uh, sort of what we're, we're in now, uh, then you can launch the, uh, the control center. Uh, and then it'll, uh, it'll show the, the option for a mic mode. Um, and then uh, from there, you'll get like three options. So like there's a standard mode, which is the default setting. Uh, and then the setting I was trying to find, it was uh, the, the voice isolation where it actually enhances the voice and then sort of uh, cuts out the ambient sound. And then the third option was uh, uh, the wide spectrum. Uh, so, so it gives you those uh, three options. And then depending on what you're trying to do the call for, um, you can pick and choose whichever one is, is best suited uh, but you got to be in that active call for that all to work. So if you can do all that and your compatible devices are working, uh, then then you'll be able to uh, get this to work, uh, this mic mode.
Right on. I think uh, good good audio quality goes a long way, and it's always appreciated by an audiophile like me. Uh, we'll have some more details about this feature on our blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, with uh, probably some links to uh, Nelson's article up at Cool Blind Tech as well. Hey, Nelson, thank you for this, sir. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Take care. That is Nelson Rago, the founder of Cool Blind Tech. You can follow him on Twitter at Cool Blind Tech, at Cool Blind Tech. Coming up after the break, We'll uh, talk a little bit about entertainment. No, not the Oscar nominations that came out this morning, although it appears Canada being quite well represented in those Oscar noms. Alex Smythe wants to ask how you feel about productions being filmed in your hometown. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Canadian television and movie production is bouncing back after a quiet few years during the pandemic. But what happens when filming Game of Thrones turns into a game of cones in your locality? Alex Smythe has a question for this on the roundtable. Paul Daniel and Ramya Emuthan are here. We'll get to them in a moment. But Alex, set this topic up. Dave, I'm so mad. I, I never thought of that one before. You, you got me. I mean, you know how I love my puns. Uh, but speaking of HBO and Game of Thrones, uh, I watched the first two episodes of HBO's new show, The Last of Us, uh, last night. And I got to say, I am loving it so far. And I knew about this show before it, it came out. I, I was aware of the games. They were one of the most popular, well-reviewed uh, games in, in history. And... I actually got even more kind of um, excited for it after I did a trip out to Canmore about a, uh, just over a year ago and I saw they were actually getting ready to film in Canmore. They had built these remarkable sets. They were kind of shutting down parts of the, the main uh, downtown uh, uh, strip on the in, in Canmore and I kind of started to think, okay, you know, I, I really want to watch this even more now. I want to see how the location was used what the set was used for, things like that. So I kind of wanted to open it up to uh, the rest of the panel because, you know, this series is shot in Edmonton, in Calgary, and in uh, the Canmore areas. And it's like, well, I really want to see what all the local places are like. And there's so many that are shot in Canada. So uh, I'll start with you, Ramya. Like when a, a series or a movie is shot in Canada or locally, are you more inclined to watch it and support it and follow it along first like check on what is uh being filmed in toronto or other parts of canada but i do like finding about it afterwards so you know sometimes when you figure out later that oh this was actually filmed around toronto or it, my favorite example is gilmore girls where like luke's diner was part of um a northern ontario town that's where it was based in and then i found out that tidbit like way into the series and i already really loved it so um i was excited about that but only now I'm finding in the last couple of years do we pay more attention or uh, I come out of the rock and pay more attention to what is being filmed around Canada and very popular locations for it too. Uh, certainly Toronto has been a stand-in for New York for a lot of series. I'm thinking shows like Suits, shows like The Boys, 
Paul Daniel, you're up there in Mississauga. How do you feel when the GTA gets a bit more represented on the big screen? Well, I think this is a process we've had for many years. You know, when if, when Canada didn't really have much of a film industry, we we, we all got really excited when, whenever we saw Canada mentioned on an American TV network, or some or 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 a, or, a, or a movie or a TV show. Oh, that's 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 Toronto. Now it's very common. And how many times can you see a movie with, uh, um, you know, Hallmark? Hallmark filming all the Christmas movies and mm-hmm. their other movies, all the same script, by the way. Just, just saying that. Um, easy, same story. easy. I have <laughs> friends who write those scripts. Careful. Uh, it's over okay. There, it's okay. But hey, they, they, they do, they, they do, they, they fill a need. They fill a market. But they, you know, let's just be clear about this. But, the, but it, it does work though. And, and, and do I watch it? Sure. If it's, if it's, a, if it's a good story, I'll watch it. It's, it's always impressed to see at Canada. Uh, being represented, or even or your own city being uh, shown, even even surreptitiously, if, you know, if it's a fictional town being created, but it works. It does it does it does the job, and uh, and it, you know it, it, everyone wins, right? Actors get jobs, crews get jobs, you know people are working, and uh, you know you, you, you show the city off, and it's if it's a good movie, even better. Alex, last week off the air, I was talking to Michael McNeely about the movie from the 90s, Alive, about the Uruguayan rugby team who uh, had to resort to cannibalism to survive a plane crash in the Andes. That film, not filmed in the Andes, filmed in the Rockies. A little fun fact I did not know. So, Alex, I'm one of these people who gets... um, I don't know if I get like super enthusiastic about the films or TV being filmed in my locale or my neck of the woods, but certainly I have friends who work in the industry, so I'm always happy for them because it means more dollars in their pocket, which means more fun for me on the weekends. But Alex, how do you generally reconcile or feel about a series being filmed or, or a movie being filmed in Canada? Well, I, I think I'm still kind of along that same mindset that uh, Paul described, where it's like, you know, we're so used that we don't get a lot of attention or, or, or love in, in the media. So it's like, you know, we, we kind of take pride in all the uh, locations that Toronto, the GTA or the rest of Canada can stand in for. I mean, we have so many big productions. It's not no longer just the, the Hallmark movies or, or the lower budget productions like the last of us is a 10 million dollar per episode show mm-hmm. like that is the the level of game of thrones it, it's one of the highest productions uh for a television series and it's filming in edmonton and calgary as i mentioned and all across alberta and it's like that that would have been something that you would thought like 10 15 years ago oh that's got to be colorado that's got to be california or new york where they're filming because that's where the big productions are so I, I take that that pride as like, oh, good, we're finally getting recognition they're, they're filming here. Uh, but there is something to be said, too. It's like, well, you, you kind of hope it's a, a good show, too. Like, you mentioned The Boys off the top. I love The Boys. And it's like, I can I can go and watch it. It's like, wait, I know that location. Wait, I know that location. You know, and, and now it's even trickling down. It's not just Toronto. I mean, um, you uh, look at Handmaid's Tale. Like, there was a large swaths of that was filmed in Hamilton and even Burlington. So it's like, even Burlington becoming a film location? This is kind of odd. The Hamilton Maid's Tale. Change the name. It, would, it almost rolls off the tongue just as well. Uh, Alex, you brought the boys back to fruition. Um, there was definitely a moment watching the first season when one of the characters was pulling a Via train. And I was like, ah, ah, that's a Via train. That's a Via train. I watched the movie good. I watched the show good. I'm real good at this. Um, so obviously there's a bit of a blind low vision perspective there. If I didn't have the vision I had, I wouldn't be able to notice that Via rail train. But uh, Ramya, you mentioned that you kind of enjoyed the discovery of finding out mm-hmm. something was 
was was filmed in GTA or in a neighborhood that you know? Yeah, I do have the moments uh, like you just touched on it, Dave, where I'm like, hey, I wish I knew, right? Like, for example, Working Moms filmed in Toronto, takes place in Toronto. It's all like set in Toronto. So it's not a uh, surprise or a mystery that Toronto locations would show up, iconic locations and otherwise. But I wish that I could know that. And now the show is audio described on CBC Gem, on Netflix now as well. But there's no real like you know the the toronto skyline appears or any of that kind of description and those are tidbits that you'd have to get if you were watching with a sighted person in real time or um to find out later you know what spots are being filmed around but i'd love to have those moments of that's ttc or that's this or that or just be able to recognize when sceneries um you know happening or, or coming on set that like this is being filmed here or there but it's always got to be an afterthought for me even to find out unless you're obviously hearing the buzz about it because um it's not necessarily implemented in the description Mm -hmm. paul we got to be a little quick here and i've got a few more questions before we're totally wrapping but would you prefer that when we're talking about these canadian locations that they're not stand-ins anymore but actual profiles if you're going to film in toronto call it Toronto. If you're going to film in Vancouver, call it Vancouver. If you're going to fill Eastern Promises in Montreal, we got to call it Montreal, although the storyline of human smuggling might work a little differently in Montreal. Uh, sure. I mean, uh, not, not regards to human smuggling, but in terms of the story, uh, yeah, it was always good to have, uh, you know, your city recognized and to stated, you know, you know, we're going to Toronto, we're going to, uh, you know, or Hamilton or or Montreal, whatever, whatever city. It's always good to have that. And I think we need to get away from that. I mean, we need to get away from just being uh, a cover for an American-based uh, story of an American town filmed in Canada. It would mm-hmm. be. It's. Uh, we need to get. We need. We need to become. You know. Hey, this country has cities beyond just Toronto. Yeah. Okay. We got to go rapid fire on this one, guys. But I'll tell you a quick story. In the summer of 2018, I badly sprained my ankle at a Toronto Blue Jays game and had to walk to Union Station the next day from my hotel. And they were filming something on Front Street between my hotel and Union. And your boy was very annoyed as he was dragging his right foot behind him while trying to haul some luggage into Union Station. I I get a little annoyed sometimes about road closures and blockades for filming. Ramya, how does it make you feel? Uh, I usually don't know that it's filming specific. I just think, oh, construction. I'll walk through it until somebody says, get out of here. And I haven't gotten a get out of here yet. So maybe I've been like an extra on a film I don't know about. Okay, that's the next thing I'm paying attention for in the boys. There's the via train. There's Ramya. Uh, Paul, what about you? Annoyance by uh, by people working hard making these movies and TV shows? Uh, no one. No annoyance. Uh, like like Ron, I just walked through the set. I could be in so I could be in some many movies you haven't seen seen me in, you know. So I have un- uncredited appearances. Okay. So yeah, it doesn't bother me. We'll talk to Paul's agent about that. Alex, what about you? Uh, yeah, you know, it depends how they handle it. If if um, like when I was in Camor, you could still walk through the area, and they were always very open about that. So if they handle it well, I have no problems with it. All right, so I'm the only person who uh, stands against Canadian <laughs> workers. That's fine. Uh, Alex, Paul, thank you for this. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, Ramya, before we say goodbye to you, what's coming up on Kelly and Ramya today at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv and AMI-audio?
We're talking about the risks and benefits of taking ice baths, okay? So if you're not Ooh. a fan, we'll find out if you are today when we talk to uh, wellness contributor Francis Wong. Also, there's been a new study that links time scrolling on your smartphones and your screens with uh, self-esteem in teens or lower self-esteem mm-hmm. in teens. So Margaret Weldon's going to talk more about that study. And we're talking parenting with Lucia Belafonte. She's talking specifically literacy and how we can promote it in our homes with our parents and kids and she's got a new children's book out that she just wrote her very first oh. one so we're going to talk about that wow that's know, amazing so that's amazing Ramya, you guys always run a good gambit of topics thank you for making time for us this morning and we'll talk to you tomorrow talk tomorrow that is Ramya Emuthan, the co-host of kelly and Ramya, which comes your way 2 p.m eastern on ami tv and ami audio coming up next it's the weekly news quiz the musical chairs of contestants continues as I put Bruce McLarian, Jim Crisco, and Alex Smythe to the test. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Tuesday. It's the last segment of the show. You know what that means. It's time for the weekly news quiz. Oh, yes, that is right. The musical chairs continues on the quiz. First, we say hello to a voice and face you've heard a few times today. It's Alex Smythe. Hello, Alex. Hello, Dave. And we've got a couple new folks in the mix today on the quiz, beginning in Edmonton, Alberta, with Jim Crisco. Hello, Jim. Hi, Dave. And not far down the hall is Bruce McLarian, our TV visual producer. Bruce, thank you for making time, boss. Hello, hello. Ah, all right, here are the rules. Although a lot of you are familiar with them, may as well go over them one last time for posterity. There are three rounds of questions and three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice questions. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the options and get it right, you get one point. If you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants was drawn by Mary Daniel, the wife of our producer, Paul Daniel. There's been lots of controversy the last few weeks about the order, so Mary has stepped in. The order will be Jim... Alex and Bruce. Jim, first question, heading off to you. Last Friday, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak was fined by police when a social media post surfaced showing him committing this driving infraction. Uh, I will say uh, distracted driving. He was on his phone. Oh, Jim taking a guess, not even wanting the options, but that is incorrect. So next person on the list is Alex Smythe. I'll, I'll take the options there, Dave. Was he speeding? Was he not coming to a full stop at a stop sign or not wearing a seatbelt? Hmm. I, I'm going to say not wearing a seatbelt. That is correct. One point for Alex. Alex, the second question of the first round going to you. It was reported by the United Nations. China's population shrank in 2022 for the first time in six decades. According to UN estimates, which country is poised to pass China as the world's most populous country this year? That would be India. That is two points for Alex. Off to a 
dominating 3-0 lead early in the game here. But Bruce McLarion's got a shot to get into this mix. Bruce, question number three of round number one. Sister Andre, a French nun and the world's oldest known person, died one week ago. How old was Sister Andre? 115. Ooh, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. Bruce was swinging for the fences. Jim, do you want options or do you want to swing for two? Uh, options, please. Uh, the choices are 118, 119, or what Bruce guessed, 115. Uh, I'll go 118. That is correct. One point for Jim. Sister Andre lived through two world wars, 18 French presidents, 10 popes, the 1918 pandemic, and of course, the COVID pandemic. Well, like sort of the COVID pandemic. It's still happening-ish. Uh, round number two with... <laughs> With Alex at three, Jim at one, and Bruce at zero. Alex getting the first question of round number two. Alex, after attributing his losing campaign for state office in New Mexico to voter fraud, Salomon Pena stands accused of orchestrating shootings into the homes of which targets? Uh, they would be uh, Democratic legislatures. Oh, gosh. Uh, or I feel, I feel or do you want me to be more specific? No, 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 no. that's good. Okay. That's that. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. That's two points. M members of the Democratic Party is what we had here. But yeah. Alex has been following the news. It's almost borderline unfair here, the way Alex has been following the news and gets up to a 5-1-0 lead right now. Uh, Pena lost the race to represent House District 14 in the New Mexico legislature to Democrat Miguel Garcia. Question number two of round number two, going to Bruce. Bruce, which British actor has been identified as one of the two hikers who've gone missing in Mount Baldy in the California area? Can I have your options, please? Was it David Warner? Was it Charles Edwards? Or was it Julian Sands? Warner? That is incorrect. Jim, was it, was it Charles Edwards or Julian Sands? Uh, total guess. I'll go with Julian Sands. That is correct. As of yesterday, they've been missing for 18 days. So now we've got Alex at five. Uh, by my count, is it Jim at two and Bruce at zero? Is that my count? Is my count correct? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. Yes, I, I believe so, Dave. Okay, thank you, Alex. <laughs> you can always count on the leader in the clubhouse to keep us accountable. <laughs> of course. Uh, question number three of round number three goes to Jim Crisco. Jim, you're going to like this one. It's a sports question. On Sunday, Canada's Brooke Henderson won the Hilton Grand Vacations Tournament of Champions by four strokes. With this victory, she set the record for the most recorded LPGA titles won by a Canadian. How many victories does Brooke Henderson have? Whoa, uh, I'll have to take the options on that one, Dave. Your options are 15, 13, or 11. Oh, um, I'm going to go with 13. That is correct. Jim, wow. with his third point, Henderson led the Tournament of Champions from wire to wire, sitting atop the leaderboard for all three rounds. Here we go. Speaking of three rounds, question number one of round number three going to Bruce. Bruce, you're still in this thing. You're still in this thing, even though you're, uh, you're trailing by a little bit here. So, Bruce, which country last week said it will send tanks to aid Ukraine only if the U.S. does the same? Can I have the options, please? Is it France, is it Germany, or is it Canada? Mm, let's go with Canada. That is incorrect. So, uh, Jim, you get the next crack Darn. at this one. Uh, I will say France. 
That is also incorrect. Alex gets the default <laughs> point. Uh, of course, we shared this story off the top of the show. Even before uh, the U.S. can do so, Germany has to give permission uh, for their tanks to be used. So it's 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 that 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 becomes a little bit of rounded logic right there. That Germany says we'll only do it if the U.S. wants to do it, but we need Germany's permission to actually send the tanks. So there, uh, diplomacy always works, just as we're always aware. Democracy and diplomacy always work, always super effective. Uh, that puts Alex into a pretty commanding six-three lead, but that doesn't mean this thing's over yet because there's still a few more questions. With Jim getting the first one here, and as usual, Paul gives me something that I cannot pronounce. Manoush Chafik was announced last week as the first woman to serve as the president of which Ivy League university? Uh, options, please. Brown, Yale, or Columbia? I'll go with Yale. That is incorrect. Mm. Alex? Uh, let's go with Brown. No, incorrect. The, the university that I founded, not the, uh, not the one that named the president. Uh, Bruce, you get the default points. Columbia, there we go. Yay. Rock and roll. Uh, just FYI, Dartmouth, Harvard, and UPenn have all appointed women as their presidents in recent months. Okay, question number three of round number three. It officially is a blowout, but Alex will give you this question anyway. And this one, uh, actually, oh my gosh. <laughs> this one uh, is going to relate to the roundtable topic that you just uh, shot <laughs> off. So I think you're going to get this one. Last week, HBO premiered The Last of Us, a zombie thriller adapted from what medium? Ah. A video game, PlayStation video game. Oh my gosh, two points for Alex on that Great one. Great minds think alike. This Mary Daniel clearly takes a liking to Alex Smythe on this one. Uh, TV critic from the New York Times wrote that while the TV adaptation does not reinvent the pandemic thriller, it has a few key mutations good pun, on the formula that made it worthwhile. And of course, Last of Us uh, Part 2 is a game that we talked about quite a bit on this show as one of the most accessible video games ever created. So pretty cool to see uh, a game that has gotten both just rave reviews for being a great game, getting rave reviews for being inclusive, and being now adapted into a TV show that is also receiving rave reviews. We have a little bit of extra time here on the board, but before we get to the tie-breaking question, we may as well do the formality of the winner is... Alex Smythe, I believe that's two weeks in a row, is it not? Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a struggle with the when Karen's not here, it just doesn't feel as sweet. I I, I need Karen here being being sour and mad about the order of the questions. So. <laughs> it's true. Bruce and, and Jim are a little more <laughs> passive on this one than, than Karen. Okay, we got one from the world of film here, guys. This was the tie-breaking question, but may as well get it out there in the world. Which Italian movie star and sex symbol died this week at age 95 maybe less on that front uh claudia cardinal gina lola brigida or anna mcnani gina lola brigida jim got it jim knows all about those 95 year old sex symbols over there <laughs> <laughs> uh, she retired from acting Double. in 1997 after 50 years in the motion picture industry hey jim thank you for being a great sport on this we always appreciate you stopping by the show hopefully we get a chance to connect again in the next few weeks thanks dave congratulations alex <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and bruce we appreciate we appreciate you stepping away from your post going down the hallway working your tail off on the air and off the air for the show thank you for being a good sport as well 
Cheers, man. Thank you for having me. And Alex, congratulations on another big win. We're going to have to keep a close eye on what you're doing here on the leaderboard standings, especially with Karen on vacation. She's going to throw a little fit on this one. Congratulations, Alex. Yeah, thank you. There's going to be an asterisk next to my name. I just know it. <laughs> That's how most of these news quizzes go. There's lots of asterisks <laughs> flying around. That's all the time we have for the show today. Remember, you can always play along with the news quiz. You can uh, send us an email and let us know how you did. Feedback at AMI.ca. Or maybe you want to be on the news quiz sometime. We could arrange that. We could arrange that if you want to do it. Feedback at AMI.ca. That's all the time for the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.